Okay, let us please stand for the reading of the word of God. We are in the book of Ephesians, chapter two, verses one to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Hey, good morning. <clears throat> Slightly less nervous today than last time, but not much. <laughs> okay, give me a second. So, if you want a title for this morning, I've actually called it exactly what we have here, Death to Life. It just seemed appropriate for what we're talking about. So, some opening thoughts. In a recent poll that came out just last year by Culture Research Center and Probe Ministries, both of which I've never heard of, 75% of so-called evangelical Christians believe that people are basically good. 48% believe that being a good person can lead to, lead to salvation. And 38% believe that there are many ways to get to God, to get to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of disagree with that. And I think more importantly, we're going to see that Paul disagrees with it as well. So as we look at our text this morning, as Karen just read to us, we're going to see that really, in fact, man is inherently evil, not inherently good. And that Jesus is, in fact, the only way to heaven and that being good is never good enough. Only through God's amazing grace can we receive salvation. So, I know we've just had the scripture read, but I'm gonna read it again because it's good for my soul. 
So chapter 2 says, uh, starting at verse 1, And you were dead in your transgressions, in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show his immeasurable grace, riches of his grace, in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it brings to our lives. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. I pray that you would speak to me. I pray, Father, that everything I say is from you, that there is none of me, that I would fade into the background and your word and your love for us would be just so evident today. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear from you. So I pray that you would just bless today, bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our passage this morning breaks down into three main sections. Death, which is verse one to three, which looks at really what we were like before we were saved. The second point is obviously life, verses four to nine, which looks at really what God has done for us. And then in verse 10, the third point is just the purpose. And it looks at our new life in Christ. So as a reminder, let me just go over what has been preached already through chapter one, just as a way of getting us back into where we are. So we know that the letter to the Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written while he was in prison in Rome. And Paul had previously spent three years with this church uh, during his third missionary journey. And this letter was written about six to eight years after he had uh, left them and moved on to do other things. Now in the first chapter, as we've heard from Jer and from uh, John, lots of things have happened. We've learned that we've been predestined according to God's will. We've learned that we've been adopted as his children and that we have received redemption through Christ's death. We've also learned that we've received an inheritance and that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. Also that Jesus was raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places and that God has put all things under his feet and that God has made Christ the head over the church. 
Now, Paul is about to double back as we get into chapter two to remind us again of his amazing grace to us. So our first point, verses one to three, look at death. And we've just read that section, so I won't read it again. But it's worth not sugarcoating what has happened and where we were. In fact, I am gonna read it. It's probably the most important thing I do. So as a reminder, this is where we were before Christ came to us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, as Paul writes, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is pretty bad news. It's extremely bad news for for how we were, and if you're unsaved, it's very bad news. And to be honest, it's also pretty offensive news. Um, Paul informs us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. It's interesting that Paul uses both the words trespasses and sins, and I thought that was interesting. I would have thought he would have just used one, but as I looked more into what those meant, it made more sense. Trespasses means going against specific Bible commands, like you shall not kill, or you shall not commit adultery. They would be trespasses. So if you kill someone, for instance, you have trespassed against that command. Whereas the word sins means the evil things we actually do, motivated by our sinful nature. And these are the acts that may not be explicitly written as Bible commands. For instance, the Bible doesn't say anything about watching pornography on the internet, but clearly it's sinful, evil, and totally against God's plan for the role of men and women. So when God talks about us being dead in trespasses and sins, he basically means that we're walking away from God and living life our own way. So we're basically putting ourselves before God and we're actually making ourselves idols. In the Old Testament, God commands us to have no other gods before him. But in our fallen state, we are shouting back at God, no, I am first. I am the most important person. My way, my desires, my pleasures for my glory. So despite what 75% of people think, we are actually not inherently good. Now, for anyone who isn't a Christian in here, and uh, maybe even some of us who are, this is probably pretty offensive. (laughs) You're probably thinking, I didn't come into church today to have someone tell me that I was a sinner and dead and all these terrible things. Um, So before I go much further, it's probably worth just saying well, at least reiterating what I'm actually not saying we are. So I'm not saying we're physically dead, like some crazy George Romero zombie movie or the Walking Dead TV show. We're not like that, obviously. And as far as I know, coming today, the zombie apocalypse hasn't started, so we're good. And I'm also not saying that we're morally dead. I have many friends and family members that aren't Christians, and they're all good, moral, loving people. So I'm not saying we're physically dead 
or morally dead. What I am saying is that we were spiritually dead, dead to God. So you may ask, well, at what point did I become dead? Paul says in Romans 5 verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we didn't become spiritually dead at a certain time. We were born spiritually dead. After God created mankind at the beginning, he gave just one rule to Adam, not to eat of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Hey. <laughs> Our sin was inherited from Adam because he broke that one rule. Adam chose to disobey God and his sinfulness was then credited to us. And as we are descended from Adam, we inherit this sinful nature and are therefore born sinners. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul said, we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. And in the Old Testament, David understood this when he wrote in Psalm 51 verse three, for I know my trespasses, transgressions, I keep doing that, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we were born sinners, we didn't become this way. So if we turn back to Ephesians, Paul continues. He says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. All of us were following the course of this world, this present age. Look around at the lies that the world is selling us. God's authority means nothing to the world. The world thinks it knows best. If we look a little bit closer, you can see in fact that the world is in chaos. This chaos is what we were following before we came to know God. And the only reason we didn't notice that the world was in chaos was because we were spiritually dead and unable to see it. But Paul continues in his letter even more strongly. He says that we were following the prince of the power of the air. Now there's little doubt from all the commentaries that I've read, which hasn't been a huge number, but the prince or ruler of the air is Satan, the father of lies. So we were actually following Satan in our fallen state. Ephesians 6, that we'll get to probably next year, verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. He hates God and he will do all he can to keep us from coming to know him. And once we do know him, he will try and do everything in his power to stop us growing. He whispers in our ears lies like, you don't need to commit to each other in marriage. Just enjoy living together. And if you get bored, you can just leave the other person. 
Satan's lies. Or just enjoy sex with whoever you want. And don't worry about the consequences. If you get pregnant, you can always abort the baby. It's not really a real person anyway, is it? Just lies. And he also says things like, God may have made you in his image, but if that doesn't suit you, just become whatever you want. You probably won't regret it later. So the devil promises happiness, but his lies only bring pain, destruction, and broken lives. So look around you, if you're a non-Christian, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, this is the direction that you're walking. Satan's plan is to keep you from following God. And do not fall into this trap. What he promises is not better than the amazing plan that God has for our lives. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Paul writes, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He whispers to us that we will be happy if we follow him, but they're just empty promises. They're there to confuse us and to draw us away from God's amazing grace for our lives. So back in Ephesians, Paul hasn't finished yet with the bad news. In verse three we read, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Before we were saved, our lives were characterized by the passions of our flesh. We basically did whatever we felt like. And the word flesh here doesn't just mean physical body, it really means our whole being, our whole nature. So our fleshly, fleshly desires that we lived out were through our selfish ambitions, such as greed or just pleasure, hatred or disunity, anger, addiction or rebellion. At the end, Paul simply just calls us all children of wrath. So if you're here today and you haven't put your trust in Jesus, this is basically who you are. And it's offensive, but it's true. And we were all at one point in a pretty bad fix. As unbelievers, we were held captive by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And left to our own devices, we couldn't break free. The world was looking to blind us, the devil was looking to lie and deceive us, and the lust of our flesh will eventually destroy us. And we were powerless to come to God, powerless to call, to help, call for help. We were helpless, spiritually dead, and ensnared by all that was around us. But what is amazing is that God did not leave us in this state. Our second point is the great news, and I've just called it life. And here we see God's amazing rescue in bringing us from death to life. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 10 says, but God. Verse 
excuse me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look at all that God has done for us in this. God has shown his rich mercy to us. God has great love for us, and God has made us alive together with Christ. God saved us, God raised us up, and God seated us in the heavenly places. But there was even more back in chapter one that we've covered over the last few months. As a reminder, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. God chose us before the foundation of the world. God predestined us for adoption. God made known the mystery of his will to us and gave us an inheritance. And God sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Even when we were rebelling and walking away from God, he loved us and came after us. When we had nothing to offer him, he gave us his only son. Listen to the wise words of Mr. Spurgeon. One night when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon for I didn't believe it. Let's hope that isn't today. The thought struck me. How did I come to be a Christian? Well, I sought the Lord. But how did I come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, I thought. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? Well, I was inspired to pray by reading the scriptures, but how come I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then, in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of all of it, that he was the author of my faith, and I ascribed my change wholly to God. Spurgeon knew that everything was due to God through the Spirit's illumination of truth to us. So back in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us in verse 4, 5, and 11 that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 5 tells us that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And in verse 11 of chapter one, he says that we have obtained, obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to his will. There is no doubt that God is behind everything. Here we are reminded of God's great love for us, how he chose us before the foundation of the world, how he predestined us for adoption to himself, and how he gave us an inheritance. And now in verse four and five of chapter two, Paul again reminds us of God's great love for us. But God, and that word but is just so amazing. But God, given our state, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is the real miracle, that once you were dead, dead completely spiritually, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we were made alive. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And when God made us alive, we stopped walking in step with the world, and we started walking in step with the Spirit. When God made us alive, the devil is no longer our master, but we are bought with a price. We are now in Christ. And we are no longer sons of disobedience, but sons and daughters of the King. Our lives turn from despair to hope. Empty lies are replaced by God's promises. And we are no longer caring about the riches of this world because we have the riches of Christ, his inheritance, our imperishable inheritance. Then, as if Paul stops in mid-thought, he reminds us again that by grace we have been saved. By grace simply means God's free, unmerited love and favor to us. By grace you simply means that this was done for us, you and I. We were born again. By grace you have been saved but saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. John 3:36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we are saved by God from God's wrath. God saved us from himself. However, the punishment for our sins still needs to be paid for. Otherwise, God isn't a just God. Listen to the words of Peter who helps us understand this a little bit more. He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus, God's own son, took our sin upon himself when he died on the cross. He took the punishment, God's wrath, on our behalf. And then, after three days, God raised him from the dead, showing that he has defeated the final enemy, which is death itself. And because Christ was raised, we too will be raised on that last day when Christ returns. This is the very heart of the gospel. In Romans 10, 9, Paul tells us, 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the most amazing news you will ever hear. But Paul has even more to tell us, even more blessings. In verse 6, he tells us of Ephesians 2, but God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been seated in the heavenly places with Jesus. When God looks at Jesus, in some way we are already there with him. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Our salvation is secure because we are in Christ. And we are sealed, as we've said, by the promised Holy Spirit who is our guarantee. And there is nothing we can do that can stop God loving us. There is no sin that God can't forgive. There is nothing that we've ever done that is beyond God's forgiveness. The blood of Christ has covered every sin, past, present, and future. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul goes on in verse 7 of Ephesians to tell us that in the coming age, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And when Paul's talking about the coming age, think about eternity. Our sins are finite and can be written down, but God's grace is immeasurable. And God will use all of eternity to show us his immeasurable grace. Once we get to heaven, grace doesn't stop. It just keeps on going. And then finally, in verse 8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul reminds us again that there is nothing that we can do to add to what Christ has already done for us. Being a good person, doing good things, living a good life will not save us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. And this is so that none of us may boast. It is all by grace. Martin Luther, one of the central figures of the Protestant Reformation said, the only contribution we make to our salvation is the sin in which God so graciously forgives. So our third and final point is just the purpose. What is the purpose of all this? Paul tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work, walk in them. We are God's own creation. We're not evolved through random chance, but created in his image. And we have been created for good works that God created and prepared in advance for us. And these good works are for us to walk in. These works don't secure our salvation, 
but they are the fruit of what has already been done for us. They are a new way of life for us. So as I begin to wrap things up, how do we apply this? Well, I guess first and foremost, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and asked him to save you, this is the time. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. You might be dead by the time you get home today. I guess you wouldn't get home if you were dead. So today, turn from your sins, turn from the world, and trust in Jesus. Secondly, and for all of us who are saved, we need to get out there and share the gospel. People out there around us, our friends, our family, the stranger that we see on the street, if they're not Christians, they're all going to hell. And the only way they're going to hear the good news, the gospel, is if somebody like us tells them. So we need to get out there and share the good news. And finally, and it seems so obvious from what we've just read, worship. This is pretty much the most amazing thing you're ever going to hear. Nothing in life is better than what we've just heard from God's word. We were dead and now we are alive. And it is because of God's amazing grace to us. So we need to praise and worship him. So I'm gonna pray and then we can respond. And Natalie, wherever you are, you can head on back if you, if you can. So let's just pray and then we respond. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth and the way it impacts our life. Father, I pray that these truths, Father, would just excite us and that we would just rejoice in knowing who we were and what you have done for us. Father, I pray that you would just bring home to us the terrible state we were in before you came and saved us. And I pray, Father, that this would just lead us to want to share your gospel with others. So I just pray, Father, for all of us, I pray that you would just give us such a desire just to share your gospel with our friends and our family. Let us really come to terms with what it means to be lost, but this amazing news of rescue that we have. I just pray this in Jesus' name.